Supernatural in Central Florida. It's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 116th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's show, we have a very special guest joining us. Our listener, Josh Kitchen, is joining us, and he also happens to be a paranormal investigator, and he has been to the location that we are bringing to you today. That is Moundsville State Prison. Other people may know it as West Virginia State Penitentiary. Very, very cool-looking place on the outside, but it sounds pretty creepy on the inside. Josh, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? We're doing great, and the really cool thing is we have some EVPs and other recordings to share with you guys later on in the show, and listen for yourselves, see what you think, but a few of them are quite convincing, and what I thought was really neat about a couple of them, Josh, is that they're audible, so people can actually, you guys heard it. It wasn't like you recorded it and rewound it and heard it, you heard it live. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty rare to, you know, get something like that, like in the moment, you know, most of the time, it's, you know, you get it during your live, you know, playback or whatever. But yeah, there was a few that we caught in the moment and you know, it's, it's mind blowing. I wanted to ask you, Josh, you and your wife both go out and do this together. First of all, what got you guys interested in the paranormal? And second, what got you interested in actually going out and investigating it? I think it was just, you know, I've always been ever, you know, since I was a kid, I've always been fascinated with folklore and legends and especially my big thing was Scooby-Doo as a kid. Like, I loved Scooby-Doo and it was just kind of, you know, uh, just like a passion I had and I was always kind of the weird kid, you know, I was always into like, again, like folklore, legends, haunted history and I can remember even being labeled drive that, you know, my mom would kind of you know, drive around and we'd check out like, you know, supposed like haunted places in Columbus or, you know, in the Ohio area. And I mean, it, just, it kind of took on a life of its own. Well, before we get into talking about the prison, we want to point you guys at our website, historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we did get an email from Emmy Koziak. She said, I recently discovered History Ghost Bump and at the suggestion of other reviewers. I started at the most recent and I'm working my way backwards. I live in Los Angeles and travel often for work and your podcast makes even the worst traffic seem bearable. Hey, if it can make L.A. <laughs> I was going to say traffic L.A. Bearable. traffic bearable. Wow. <laughs> Every topic is well researched and captivating and your charming personalities. Denise, did you pay her? Just a little bit. <laughs> Add a cozy dimension to the podcast like hanging out with old friends. I'm thoroughly hooked and only wish the episodes were longer. See, she had that right, old friends. And she suggested <laughs> the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which I'm definitely up for looking into. I have heard that it's haunted and it's old Hollywood stars and stuff. So which that's is right, right up my alley. Your, yeah, I was about to say right up your alley. 
And this next one is from listener Corianne Wilson. It's interesting how many riverboat accidents are labeled the worst. Well, listening to this episode, which for listeners was the North Brother Island episode, I kept thinking there was a steamboat explosion in the Mississippi or Missouri that had a greater loss of life than the General Slocum. Wikipedia is telling me that the steamboat Sultana exploded in 1865, killing around 1,800 people, though there were more survivors on the General Slocum. I also learned about the steamboat Saluda, which was also destroyed in an explosion, leaving only 50 survivors. However, I couldn't, in my admittedly cursory research, find out how many people died. Kelly Spencer sent us an email as well, and kind of along the same lines as helping people make it through traffic, we help her make it through her work day. Uh, I enjoy your podcast and love how well you two work together. She hasn't seen us trying to build anything. <laughs> Hope this finds you well, and I can't wait to continue to binge listen to your podcast. Thanks so much, Kelly, for that. And we do work well together building things as long as you just listen to my directions. <laughs> and Tammy said that she had just re-listened to the Andersonville episode, and we had asked a question about gunshot EVPs that you could hear at the site, and she said that she could maybe shed some light on that. About 19 feet from the wall surrounding the site was the deadline, and she said guards were posted along the wall and towers, and any prisoner who went over that line were shot. You really need to make a stop at this site. It's the saddest ground I've ever been on. And so those might be the gunshots we were hearing as people trying to escape and maybe they were shooting him. Want to give a shout out on Twitter to Karen H. Thanks so much. And the TV Guide. And he spells that G-U-Y-D. See what he did there? We also want to announce that our oddities editor, Bob Sherfield, who you hear a lot when we're talking about this moment in oddity, I guess he was bored. So he put together a forum for History Goes Bump. So now we have a place where we can all gather and share stuff that is not only accessible to people who aren't on Facebook, but we've noticed on the Spooktacular crew that things get lost. And this way things won't get lost as easily. So we invite you guys to come register over at the forum and hang out. It's completely free. And the easiest way to get there is just to go to the website and you'll see a little tab that says HGB forum. You click on that and you'll be in. And then we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Matthew. Hey, Matthew. Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Sammy. Hey, Sammy. Adara. And I hope I said that right. Hey, Adara. Zoe. Hey, Zoe. Bill. Hello, Bill. Catherine. Hi, Catherine. And Trisha. Hey, Trisha. All right. Are you ready to go to prison again, Denise? Well, you seem to like putting me in prison a lot. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. And This Moment in Oddity is by Bob Sherfield. In the spring of 1943, in Hagley Wood, near Stour Bridge in Worcestershire, whilst out poaching, four boys came across a large witch elm. One of the group, Bob Farmer, climbed the tree looking for bird eggs. In the hollow trunk, he spotted what he believed to be an animal skull. 
Retrieving it, he was horrified to find out that it was human. The boys panicked because they had trespassed, so they decided not to tell anyone. Later, one of the boys felt guilty and told his parents of the discovery, and they called the police. In the trunk was an almost complete skeleton, along with a shoe, a gold ring, and fragments of clothing. A hand was found buried near the tree. Forensics showed that the skeleton was a female aged 35 to 40 years old. She'd been dead for at least 18 months. Taffeta within the mouth indicated that she had been asphyxiated and placed into the cavity of the tree, wilt still warm. The police trawled through the missing person reports and dental records for a lead, but to no avail. She seemed to have appeared from nowhere and was missed by no one. Christmas came and graffiti began to appear. Who put Lubella down the witch elm, said the first one. Hagleywood Bella, said another. Who put Bella in the witch elm became a common sight across the area. Two years after the discovery, an anthropologist set forth a theory that the buried hand indicated use in an occult ceremony known as the Hand of Glory, and that Bella had been a ritualistic murder. The idea of witchcraft caught the imagination of the public, but in 1953, a woman named Anna contacted the local newspaper claiming to know the killer's identity. Bella, she said, had been part of a spy ring gathering intelligence to aid the German bombing of Birmingham. In 1968, a book titled Murder by Witchcraft claimed that the records of the Abwehr, a German intelligence agency, showed Bella had been a Nazi spy who had parachuted into the West Midlands in 1941, but disappeared without making radio contact. Sometime after 1999, the declassified files of the wartime MI5 divulged something interesting. In January of 1941, a captured Gestapo agent, a Joseph Jacobs, was carrying a photo of a woman who he claimed as a German singer and actress, Clara Bauerley. He revealed how Clara, who had spent time before the war working in the music halls of the West Midlands, had been due to be parachuted into that area in 1941. Curiously, her career seems to come to an abrupt halt at that time, making no appearances after that date. Jacobs was convicted of being a spy and become the last person to be executed at the Tower of London. Bella also could have been a Birmingham prostitute. Another prostitute told police in 1944 that Bella had disappeared three years before. Another story that came out was reported by Una Massop in 1953. She claimed her cousin Jack had confessed that he and a Dutchman had been out drinking with a woman who had passed out, and as a prank they had placed her in a tree hoping she would wake up the next morning scared and confused. She said Jack Mossop had been confined to a mental hospital, plagued by reoccurring dreams of a woman staring at him from a tree trunk. He died before the discovery of the body. The official closure of the police investigation and publication of the police files stated that Wilt's DNA evidence would prove useful. The whereabouts of the bones were now unknown. A skeleton being found inside a tree certainly is odd. of the dark. That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> this day in history. This day in history is by Kristen Swintek. On this day, April 4th, in 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. 
King was born on January 15, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia, to Reverend Martin Luther King Sr. and Alberta King. Martin Luther King is best known for his work as a civil rights leader. During the civil rights movement, King led the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott, helped found the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, in 1963 helped organize the March on Washington, where he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. In 1964, King won the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through nonviolence. In 1968, King and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference began working on the Poor People's Campaign to help address issues of economic justice. In late March, he traveled to Memphis, Tennessee in support of black sanitary public works employees whom had been striking for three weeks. On his way down, his flight was delayed due to a bomb threat made on the plane in which he would be traveling. In his final speech on April 3rd at the Mason Temple in Memphis, he said, Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I see the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. King was staying at the Lorraine Motel in room 306, where he was with Reverend Ralph David Abernathy and Jesse Jackson. King had gone out onto the balcony near his room where he was shot at 6.01 p.m. by a single bullet. Witnesses saw a man fleeing the house across the street. King was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital where he was pronounced dead one hour later after an attempt of emergency surgery. King's killer was identified as James Earl Ray, who had fled the scene of the crime, which led to a worldwide manhunt. He was apprehended at London's Heathrow Airport two months later. The Lorraine Motel in Memphis is now the site of the Nation's Civil Rights Museum, where a white wreath is hung on the balcony and his room is exactly as it was in 1968. History Goes Bump Podcast. The West Virginia Penitentiary is located in Moundsville, so most people know it as the Moundsville State Penitentiary. In its day, it was one of the most violent prisons in the United States. The Gothic architecture of the building resembles a castle with turrets and battlements. This place truly was a fortress not as protection from the outside forces, but to keep the bad inside. It would seem that some of the inmates of the prison still remain in the afterlife. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Moundsville State Penitentiary with our special guest, listener and paranormal investigator, Josh Kitchen. Well, Josh, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is I know that Moundsville, West Virginia was named for this thing called the Grave Creek Mound, which was built by some ancient mound builders there. So I'm assuming you've seen that because it's located near the prison. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally uh, directly across the street from it. I'm trying to think. I want to say the Adena tribe built it. Um, it's about 69 feet tall and almost, I think, roughly like 300 feet in diameter. This sounds like it is rather large because they even talked about it being excavated and they would find all these different chambers and things in there. So I'm like, it's not a little hill. It sounds very large. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's massive. Um, I mean, like I said, that, that's one of the first things when you first pull on the street where the prison's located is, you know, you see the mound and then you realize uh, how close all these houses were. I mean, it's literally, you walk out on your front porch and directly across the street the prison. And when we get into talking a little bit later where there's going to be riots and things that break out here, people are just on their front porch listening to the riots at the prison. I can't imagine being that close. It'd be a little unnerving, I would think. I'd be like, hey, honey, make some popcorn let's go listen to a riot see i mean you gotta think i mean it had to be you know a little unnerving going to bed every night knowing that you know you've got a maximum security prison directly across the street and you know it housed some of the more you know violent people in your state so and then not only do you have this prison there but then you've got either to the side of you or in your backyard this large burial mound and anybody who knows anything about paranormal stuff and spirits knows that those two seem to go hand in hand we mentioned oh that was indian burial ground on here all the time well this is literally it's right there so Part of me wonders if that isn't why we hear about some supernatural activity going on at the prison. Oh, yeah, exactly. And there's uh, there's been a few books that I've read, and even they've mentioned before in a couple of the tours that the uh, the tribe that built it, there was something in their beliefs about, you know, specifically building mounds on, you know, like the, the ley lines. And, you know, that's a whole other, you know, topic in and of itself when it comes to the paranormal. It's really interesting that you mentioned that because I think I was listening, it was a couple nights ago to Darkness Radio, and they had a guy on there, and he was talking a lot about the ley lines and how, not all the time, but a lot of the time, these Native American tribes would pick areas. They didn't know necessarily that that's what this was, but it was almost like they were drawn to it. And it's interesting to think that they were drawn to this specifically maybe because there was some kind of energy there. Very interesting to think about. I have a little fun fact about this mound is that Meriwether Lewis actually wrote about it in his journal when he was making a trip out to meet William Clark because they decided to explore the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. So it's neat that this mound made it into Lewis's journal at that time. And it was turned into a tourist attraction for a while as they excavated it. And so a lot of the artifacts and things that were in there weren't necessarily taken care of like we would do it nowadays. But uh, it was big enough that people could walk around inside of it and stuff. I don't know if I'd want to go inside of a burial mound and is it going to fall on me? Am I going to be buried? True. Well, what happened with this prison that gets built here is right as the Civil War is getting going, Virginia was one state and part of that state decided that they wanted to secede. And so right in the middle of the Civil War, you've got that going on. And what happened is West Virginia, when it broke off, didn't have a lot of the government buildings and infrastructure that they needed. And so all they had were these little county jails. So they needed something bigger to hold some of these more violent criminals and people who were doing things more than just maybe stealing a loaf of bread or something. And so they went ahead and built this prison. The, the original first part was, I want to say, 1866. And they used, um, I think, convict labor to do most of it until, I want to say, like 1876, give or take. And here these guys are actually building what they're going to be locked up in. So I can't imagine what it's like. Oh, I'm going to build my own prison here. Well, and then if you think the inmates know the architecture and where everything is, it might be a little bit easier to plan an escape route if you knew like what bins there were. You might even be able to build some of those into the plans if you're tricky enough. I don't know. Sure. Well, on this show, we call it Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind because we like to take you guys to the location in your mind. And we have the luxury of having Josh, who's been there many times. Josh, can you describe what the building looks like to us? 
just the first, like I said, the first thing you notice is just the overall, just like the massive size of it. I mean, I think it's on almost like 10 acres and it literally runs like an entire street block. It's just, you know, when you first pull up, it's just the the front of it. I mean, it just looks like a giant castle with, you know, like bat wings on both sides of it. Well, that's what I thought was really cool. When I've seen pictures of it, it's got turrets and these battlements. It does look like a castle with the Gothic architecture that it has there. And I know that there were other prisons that were set up this way, too. Have you been to any other prisons in the country? Yeah, actually, we go to um, Mansfield quite often, too. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same way. It's got that real, you know, old, creepy Gothic, you know, architect going on with it. Cool. I'm glad you said that because I was hoping that if you had that, that's what you were going to say. And so they all had this same kind of thinking that if you were going into this castle like structure, this gothic looking building, that it would instill some kind of fear into the prisoners and make them penitent, I guess. So that was kind of the thinking here as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I, I could imagine, you know, being a, a younger guy and, you know, realizing, all right, you know, I've made, you know, bad decisions, whatever, you know, I'm a criminal, then, you know, they kind of pull you up to this prison and it's like, hmm, well, that's a little unnerving. Sounds like it's set up like there was a North Hall and a South Hall. Is it? Is that how it's set up? Yeah, you've got, uh, I want to say North Hall was the original, maybe. Gotta look at notes. I want to say the the North Hall was that's where they housed you know the most violent inmates. You didn't actually start off in North Hall. Everybody was on you know South Hall or New Wall as they call it. Um, and you know when you're in general population, you know you either a tried to kill another inmate or you know you just acted up and you know they would send you over to North Hall. Yeah, North Hall sounds like it was the place you didn't want to go because that's where all the executions took place too, I think. Yeah, that was more, um, and the fun thing is about North Hall, I mean, it's one of the only, you know, out of the couple prisons I have been to, I mean, the entire area, it's, it's caged in. I mean, there's literally like, you know, the little bolt-in to get into the cell blocks and everything else, you know, it's entirely just caged in. And their outer area where they used to have like their exercise yards and stuff, what was that? What did that look like? Was it open? Did it have individual areas? On the North Hall side, they've got the original, from all the notes and, you know, again, the stuff that I've read, even on the tours, the, the North Lagging Gate was the first part of the prison. They do think that, you know, that was, it had a few jail cells in it. That's also where they did like uh, the majority of the, the executions there. I'm going to say it was from 1899 to... 1965, and I want to say there was 85 hangings that took place there, along with uh, nine electrocutions. The, uh, the outside of it, um, it's now it's, it's pretty open, but on that particular side, you have uh, the old men's colony. But I want to say once you got to be over, I want to say like 60 or 65, they sent you there. Um, just the general thinking of it was, you know, you're not really able to protect yourself as well amongst like the, the newer guys there. So, you know, all the older inmates actually had their own building, tore it down after the uh, prisoners got a petition. Uh, um, but that's where they actually, they would house the, the death row inmates and they had their own building too. So now the, the older inmates were being protected by the newer ones or vice versa? Um, they were pretty much protecting the, uh, the older inmates um, from the younger ones. And that's what, like I said, they're, they're thinking behind, uh, you know, to put all like their senior inmates into one building and, you know, just kind of keeping them out of the general population. It opened with 251 inmates 
And as we already said, many of those were the ones who actually built the penitentiary. So they, they built many different workshops in the prison. So they had carpentry, blacksmithing, baking, painting, wagon building. And the goal of the penitentiary when it was first made was to reform the prisoners instead of just serving time, that they wanted to reform them. They had education and a library, and there was plenty of food. But um, you might have remembered in the intro that we did say this was the most violent prison in the country. And so even though they had good intentions when they started, those did start to change and conditions worsened. And then the prison very quickly became overcrowded. It's funny because when they first started this, they wanted to do this kind of reforming and they thought a lot of that would come through educating the prisoners and stuff. And I don't know if it's just because conditions got worse and the prisoners got worse because of that or because they were bringing in more murderers and rapists and you just have a larger population of really bad guys or if you had guards who just wanted to go ahead and be bad guys themselves But as was the case with so many of these prisons, we went from this is a place of reform to we're going to torture you and punish you. Do you know, Josh, about two of the, I would say they were kind of unique to Moundsville State Prison, two forms of torture that they used to do there? Um, I want to say, what was the one called? It's called like the kicking jimmy or something like that. Yeah. Pretty much beat them and flog them. Yeah, I just, it. what it sounded to me like is they built this thing that was almost like a, not quite a semicircle, but it must have been something that you would kind of lay down as if you were on a, a half circle or something. You're naked and they've got your arms tied down and your feet locked down and whipping you like that. I don't know where they got the Jenny part or I don't know, maybe it was a form of slang that they had back then, but it just sounds horrible. And some of these guys, they would whip them till they were almost dead. Did they have, when you went there on any of the tours, did they have replicas of that anywhere? I don't think, I'm trying to think back, I don't think like the little museum um, in like the main area, I don't, I want to say they don't have anything in there like that. Uh, They still do have uh, the electric chair though. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's creepy. Very creepy. I saw an electric chair just in Madame Tussaud's wax museum and that was creepy and it wasn't like a real one where people had actually died. I know that's what would make this one more because, you know, I've seen them in when you go in a haunted house, it seems like every one of those has a electric chair in it or something. But this is like the real deal. People really died in that chair. Yeah. They had this other thing called the shoe fly. I don't know what it specifically looked like, but to me, I either have this image of somebody being strapped down in a chair with their head locked back against the chair or that somehow they were locked in a standing position with their head pinned back. So basically they could not move. And then we were talking in the the history part of today's show. We talk about Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And I think a lot of people recall, you've probably seen the tapes where when people were doing some of the civil rights marches, the police and other people would turn these hoses on them and just blast them back with the hose water. Well, that's basically what the shoe fly was. So imagine those people not being able to get away from the hose water, being pinned up against a wall and just being hit with this ice water from a hose. And some of them nearly drowned from it. That sounds horrible to me. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Now, I didn't hear or read anything about the hole 
and it seems like every prison had one of these. Do you know anything about their solitary confinement, or do they have one there? It used to be down in there, but again, I think it was one of those things that they eventually, once they, either again, the inmates decided, you know, that it was too inhumane. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that the original, the area is still there, but I don't think like any of the, the actual hole in the cells themselves are still intact. Now, as you mentioned, they did do these hangings there and the electrocutions and stuff. An interesting thing about the electrocutions there, of course, they called their electric chair Old Sparky. <laughs> I think so, that's... so creative. <laughs> yeah. But the guy who was the warden of the prison at that time knew that they were trying to get away from hanging and more towards this electric chair. I don't know if the legislator thought it was more humane, but he was very much against it. And he wrote a letter to the legislature and he said, The present system of conducting executions here is by all means the most humane, the safest and least painful and is less expensive. From the time the subject is started from his cell until he reaches the scaffold, steps on the trap, is bound, strapped, the noose adjusted, the black cat placed, the brief prayer said, and the subject dropped and dead is less than 60 seconds. I mean, that's amazing. They get you up there, ready to go, 60 seconds and you're dead. So that does make it sound more efficient. He continued, there have been 12 executions here since the law requiring executions at the penitentiary passed, three under my predecessors, nine under my administration. In every case, there has not been the slightest hitch or error, and the subject has been subjected to no delay, so terribly hard to stand. Our people know exactly how to do this work, and it's done quickly. But the electric chair is the very opposite. It takes 10 minutes to adjust the electrodes, which seems like 10 hours. The sponges and a range of for everything, for everything has to be done with the most absolute precision. And in the only two states that have the system, there have been recently the most unsatisfactory results. And the current has had to be applied over and over to the great horror and disgust of the officials. So as we've heard some of these stories where they didn't get them the first time and they had to hit it again and hit it again. And you can only imagine you've got people watching. Even if it's the worst criminal, that would be very difficult to watch. Yeah, not very merciful. That is not all. Electrocution is the most horrible death known. Every nerve is shattered. Every blood vessel bursted. The bones crushed and broken. And in 10 minutes after, every particle of the victim's body is black and blue, a most gruesome sight. Exactly what occurs to parts of the victim of a stroke of lightning. I thought that would be interesting to share because this was a long time ago. To see that this warden was trying to point out, this may seem like a more modern way of doing it, but actually the hanging sounds like the most humane. Oh, the the funny thing was, too, that actually they let the public attend like all the hangings up until uh, 1931. Um, they had an inmate, his name was Frank Heyer. They, you know, they took him up, they had tied the new surroundings, but before they were fully ready, the trap door had actually malfunctioned and it dropped him through and uh, he was decapitated. <gasps> oh my goodness. So, and people were watching. Yeah. yeah so that, <laughs> that put an end to the, the public executions. And I don't, I couldn't find the date. But there was another uh, inmate that they hung. His name was Orville Atkins. They had pretty much, you know, they had taken him up. Um, they were getting ready to hang him. The trap door malfunctioned again. He fell um, through and, you know, he landed on his head. You know, he was all banged up and soaked and injured. And they pretty much put him on a gurney. You know, they dragged him back up there and hung him again. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, like, I guess if you're going to do it, do it right. But it's, it's still it. Like, I couldn't imagine that, you know, like, well, you know, let's, you know, postpone this or, you know, something. But I get, you know, they just, 
the more and more you read about it, there's just there's really no you know humanity to it. To the, yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's a big debate in the country right now whether you're going to have capital punishment or not. And actually, in West Virginia, they did abolish capital punishment back in 1965. So nobody had been executed at the prison after 1965. And I believe the electrocution started in 1951. So they really didn't have that many that they did by electrocution. There was very few. I think you said nine or something. Yeah, there there was only nine of them. Well, this place also, when you get overcrowding and poor conditions, the inmates get a little upset and a lot of riots break out. And they had several of them here. I know there was a couple of them in the 1960s and they had more than a thousand inmates. So these riots broke out and what they would do is they would take guards captive and set fire and they would set fire to the basement or to certain wings. And it wasn't ever because they were like, we want out. It was because they wanted better conditions. You know, the really stupid thing about that, though, is think about it. You're locked in, so you're not going to be able to get out. Why would you set your home on fire if you can't escape? Even if the fire doesn't rage everywhere, the smoke's still going to be able to get through. But there was one witness, as Josh mentioned, there's people who live near the prison and one guy was sitting out on his porch the one day and they were having a riot and he heard several requests by the inmates and the things that they were asking for, better medical services and and better living quarters. So I can understand that. And they also wanted a pizza and some women. (laughs) I was like, okay, well... There were also several escapes that were made from the jail over the years, uh, some successfully, some were caught pretty quickly. But as is the case with most jails, you got people who are getting out of there. The penitentiary was officially closed via court order on March 27, 1995, and it was basically because they went through and they said, you know what, these cells are way too small. I think they were five by seven. The conditions here are just too inhumane, so we cannot keep this prison open anymore. So in 1995, they closed it down. They shipped any other inmates that were still there off to other prisons. And then in 1998, the Moundsville Economic Development Council obtained a 25-year lease. And they've done some really great stuff with it. They've been refurbishing the structures there. And part of the way that they've been paying for all of this is that they host these daily tours of the prison. And they also have paranormal investigations there. And I think it's open from April through November and in October. It makes the perfect setting for a haunted attraction, which they call Dungeon of Horrors. Have you done that at all? Yeah, it's it's a great time. If you go there, you know, without all the, the theatrics and the you know the people working, and you know, then you go back and you're still expecting it, you know, to to be scared and things are going to happen. But I mean, it's it's still it's one of the better haunted prison or you know just haunted houses in general. I mean, it's very well done. Very cool. I usually try to stay away from those things. <laughs> Denise definitely doesn't do it. And if, if we do go through them, she usually throws me at whatever chainsaw-wielding maniac is coming at us. So <laughs> Take the girl. <laughs> and here, take her and she runs. <laughs> that was an accident. Josh, do you know anything about the Greenbrier ghost? Do they ever talk about her in regards to the jail? No, not any of the, the tours or anything we've been on. She hasn't been mentioned. I do know um, there's been a few books that... Uh, you know, she's been mentioned in briefly. I think why it comes up with this jail is that we talked about this in a moment in Oddity. It was episode number nine. And just briefly, there was a woman who was named Zona. She married a man named Erasmus. 
And he was a very violent guy. Supposedly, he had killed his first wife. Nobody really knew that. And he might have killed his second wife, too, because I think Zona was his third wife. And she apparently was found dead one day, and they thought it was an accident that she'd fallen down the stairs. So they buried her, and her husband had acted like, yeah, she fell down the stairs. And he was trying to keep people away from her and didn't really want them touching her too much. And so they didn't do any kind of a autopsy or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, Zona's mother, after the funeral, goes in to the police and tells them that they need to exhume her daughter's body and do a thorough autopsy because she's been seeing her daughter's ghost for the past four nights. And she's been telling her that her husband had killed her. She kept going in and pestering him. They said, well, maybe we should check this out because we have heard that this guy's kind of a bad guy. He's been not acting very brokenhearted about this or anything. and He's been acting kind of weird. And so they went ahead and they exhumed her, did the examination, found out that her neck was broken, that her windpipe had been crushed, which could not happen from falling down the stairs. And so they did put her husband on trial and her mother testified and said, Yep, my daughter's ghost told me about this. He was found guilty, and the prison that he was sent to was Moundsville State Prison. Now, he only was there for three years because he died. I'm not sure natural causes, I think, or something, or maybe somebody there killed him because they did kill a lot of their own there. And then apparently the ghost never appeared to her mother again. Did her mother really see her daughter's ghost in her dreams? Nobody knows for sure, but it's interesting that she was able to use that in order to get them to exhume the body and put this guy up for charges. Exactly. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, obviously, this makes such a great setting for a haunted house attraction because it is apparently, supposedly, haunted. Now, because we have so much pain and loneliness that's in this prison... It's a stone structure. Now, it's mostly made out of sandstone, so we're not looking at limestone, but I think any kind of stone just seems like it can absorb these kinds of emotional experiences and energy. This was considered to be one of the most violent prisons in the country. There was a lot of deaths that had happened there. So we have these hauntings that are occurring there. Josh, what is, I know that there are, there's at least one for sure ghost that a lot of people have talked about. Will you tell us a little bit about the haunting activity there? It seems like every part of the prison that you're in, or there's a lot of stuff, I mean, that goes on in there. Probably the biggest one that I know most people, you know, associate with is uh, there's an inmate named Artie Wall um, that was in the boiler room because, you know, he was a, a snitch and a rat or, you know, whatever you want to call him. And, you know, the warden and most of the guards really, you know, appreciated him and, and so they kind of kept him, you know, isolated and, you know, his job was to do maintenance and run the boilers. And I believe it was uh, October 8th of 79, a couple inmates snuck down and they actually, uh, you know, they, they stabbed him and they cut him up pretty bad and they killed him down there. I know that, you know, one of the popular things or, you know, most of the TV shows that have been there, they say that, you know, he was beheaded. Um, but I've also read and have been told, you know, that he wasn't actually beheaded by them, but, um, you know, they did cut fingertips and whatever off. But still, you know, in and of itself, it's kind of, you know, crazy to think that he, he was isolated and, you know, they still got to him. But, I mean, especially down there, I mean, it, it, it's just a dark, creepy boiler room to begin with. And, I mean, there is a lot of, you know, unexplained stuff. I mean, that's probably one of the better places in the prison. You know, to just kind of sit and do EVPs for a while. Um, 
you never really feel that you're fully alone the whole time you're in there. It always feels like, you know, just in the prison itself, you know, that it always feels like, you know, there, there's somebody else with you or, you know, people are watching you, but especially down there in the hole, I mean, it's, it's got a hole or whatever. It's got like a whole other energy, you know, to itself. Another area is a sugar shack. It was uh, pretty much an indoor uh, recreation room for the inmates when the weather was too bad to allow them to go outside. And the funny part about it, it really wasn't supervised. You know, the occasional guard might just kind of walk in and, you know, make sure, you know, nothing, you know, out of the ordinary was going on. But that's another place. I mean, you really, you know, you, you feel again, you know, there, there's somebody around that you'll hear footsteps and, you know, in your mind, you're just expecting to see, you know, somebody kind of pop out from, you know, one of the brick pillars down there, or, you know, somebody to turn the corner. I mean, it, it's another place. I mean, it's, you get a lot of audible voices. Um, it'll sound like, you know, people are arguing or, you know, people are having like a real heated conversation and, and you can never really track down the source of, you know, where it's coming from. You know, what's interesting about that story that you told about the snitch? All I could think to myself is this is a guy who is telling the guards anything that the other inmates are doing that are is wrong. And so they're kind of protecting him. Yet these guys were able to get to him, like you said. And it just makes you wonder, instead of me saying, wow, it's amazing that they were able to get out and get to him. It makes you think that he was allowed to get gotten too. So were there some guards who were done with him and let these inmates get it to him or was there a guard that was more friends with the inmates that had that taken care of so it almost makes me wonder if he is not hanging out at this place because he was betrayed too not just violently killed but that he was also betrayed it makes you wonder that one of the most famous pictures that they have from this prison they think is of him and it's the shadow man picture that Polly Gear took back in 2004 we do have the picture up with the show notes for today's show and it's pretty convincing. And I don't know if you heard this, Josh, but I guess the ghost hunters went out there. I don't know if it was in 2009 or something like that. But anyway, they had this picture and they decided they were going to debunk it. And they said they had debunked it. But then when I was reading some other stuff that was de- debunking the debunking, <laughs> if you could do a double negative there. <laughs> a double bunk. Is that they said there's this pole that is right next to this figure and it's in front of him. And if somebody was projecting their shadow from a long distance, and I mean, they were trying to say that Polly took a picture of her own shadow. And there's no way in hell. Because this is a really long hallway. There's no way, if you're projecting your shadow, it's going to have these, and it's that far away, these really long legs. Because your shadow's attached to you. It's not separate from you. And this, so this shadow would almost have to be separate from her. And how do you make a shadow behind a pole? The pole is... on over part of that shadow. So I don't know how you can say that that is a shadow that they are somehow projecting. So well, it's there's nothing on the floor. If you look at the picture, if you go to the no. show notes and look at the picture, when you look at your own shadow, it like Diane said, it's connected to you. So you'll see like the two lines of your legs going along the ground or the floor and there's nothing on the floor. It's just, it looks like a person standing in the very back of the corridor. Have you seen this picture, Josh? Yeah, I mean, it's, that was, uh, I want to say it was either captured right before or right after, like, my first or second trip there. And, I mean, when we went back, I mean, I mean, we did the same thing. I mean, we went, we looked, and cause, I mean, obviously, I mean, the first thought is, all right, well, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard, especially you don't really know the people, mm-hmm. you know, 
taking the picture, you know, it, it's like you want to believe that everybody is credible and they sure. are being truthful, but, you know, I mean, you just never know. And, but, I mean, it, I don't see how, I mean, it, it, I mean, I guess that you can always figure out some way to either A, Photoshop or enhance your evidence. But, I mean, that one's pretty, I mean, I think cut and dry as far as, you know, I think about it. I agree with you. I am usually most pictures, and as people who've been listening for any length of time know, pretty skeptical about most pictures that I see. A lot of the time I'm like, okay, well, it's really pixelated and you can see all kinds of things in a really pixelated picture or just anything. Or, you know, oh, that looks a little too ghostly perfect. So it's definitely Photoshop. This is something that I don't even know how you could Photoshop it or even have somebody at that end. It's a very convincing picture. So I... I have a feeling that this really might be something. And we hear so much about shadow figures. And they are one entity. I don't know what your thoughts are on them, Josh. But I just, they're one things that I don't understand. Because they're just so weird and so creepy. Because it's almost like whatever a spirit is, is able to materialize. But it doesn't materialize itself. Like with clothes or the, its own appearance. It's only able to materialize this dark shape and so it does make you wonder is it actually that person or is it something else feeding off of their energy that's forming itself that way i think that's why a lot of people get a feeling like these shadow figures are more evil but polly said that when she took this picture she actually watched him so this is a picture that she took after she watched the shadow figure for a while so it wasn't like she was just taking a picture of the hallway and boom got this picture she was trying to take a picture of him and she said he looked almost like the static that you see on TV when you turn the TV off, which we don't really get nowadays because everybody has cable and stuff. But there used to be the stuff kids called static on the TV. And she said it looked like that, but that she didn't have any kind of negative feeling about it. And she even said that she shined a flashlight down there just to make sure that there wasn't a person there or something. There was no person there. And the flashlight, the light actually went through this shadow person. And it was like he reacted to it. Almost like he didn't realize that he was dead or in this shadow formation. She said it almost looked like he was looking down at it and kind of seemed shocked that the light had gone through him. And I just thought that is the weirdest and creepiest thing I've heard. Have you ever like seen a shadow person or seen any apparitions or things like that as well? I mean, there's been several times, especially over in uh, North Hall, you know, again, the more violent part. I mean, it's just, and it's not all the time, but there are times that, you know, we have been there. It seems like, and the only way to describe it is, you know, the, like the whole area will get blacker than black. And I mean, you'll just see like just different like anomalies and just, you know, it'll look like someone's there and then you'll look again and you'll see them a little bit farther down. And it's one of the best places, I think, just to kind of go and set and just, you know, once your eyes get adjusted, I mean, there's just so much, you know, different movement just in that one particular area. And then you've also got the uh, the psychiatric ward that's also, you know, upstairs that's connected to like the medical infirmary. I mean, that's another one. There's always some kind of, you know, movement or the best, another, you know, another good way to describe it. They look like just like little pinpoint, like little balls of light just all over the place. And your first reaction is, all right, well, you know, I am up above everything, you know, 
there's windows, so obviously you know, lights can get in and out, but you, there's a lot of things like that to go on there that you really can't fully wrap your head around or you know, debunk or figure out why that's happening. There's a malevolent spirit in the prison that goes by the name of Robert. Robert was an inmate who was actually beaten to death by guards, and then they buried him within the prison walls. And he's very, very angry and is known to touch and scare the visitors. They do hear disembodied screams and footsteps and noises with no origin. And the cell doors have been known to open and close on their own. I want to play some of these recordings that you made for the listeners and see what they think. I'm going to play it, and then you guys see if you hear anything, and then I'll let you know what we think you should be hearing. Is anyone here with us? Was that you? Mm-hmm. Wasn't me. It wasn't me either. I heard, I heard me. it. Me too. What's your name? So did you guys hear the me? It's very light. That one yeah, I know I mean, that I was, heard. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of funny because I thought, you know, it was me and my wife, her brother and another really good friend, Audible, that, you know, we had asked, you know, is anybody here with us? You know, anybody want to talk? And it, it was just like, you know, me. And it was just so, like, drawn out and just kind of creepy. It was just like, all right, well, you know, he's trying to be funny. Well, and it was basically answering a question. So that shows you that there was some intelligence there. Yeah. Now, in the psych room, this one's interesting because you catch a sound. What is that? Josh? Hello, dude. Where'd it come from? So I'm assuming you guys didn't hit anything or drop anything. No, we were, uh, it was actually, I was still with uh, another paranormal group at that time. And actually, if I remember right, we were actually there for my birthday. I mean, you know, of all things to do, but uh, we were up in the, the psychiatric ward. Um, me and another investigator, Dan, uh, we were, you know, they have, they're sitting on it, and there's these two, they're pretty much just like isolation cells, and, you know, I don't know exactly how big they are, but I mean, they're just like these two little cells, and they're totally made of, you know, brick, and there's just like a little window on it, and I mean, that's it, other than, you know, the, the door. You know, we were sitting there, you know, just kind of talking, and I mean, it literally sounded like something was thrown like inside of this little cell. And you said that there were no bad words this time, so I'm assuming that you guys cursed when you heard it and you edited that out. Oh yeah, it, it, uh, you know, like I said, you know, we were just sitting there talking, and it just—it was just so loud and like pronounced, like you could you could feel it, you know, the vibrations of it, like something hit something that hard to you know make this noise. Okay, I'm still kind of stuck on that. You wanted for your birthday to go to a haunted prison, and then you're hanging out in the psych ward. I'm sorry, I just haven't gotten quite past that part of it yet. <laughs> it, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but you know. Okay, profanity aside, whatever you say, Josh. (laughs) But that, to me, makes it more legitimate, because when I saw that you'd said no more bad words, I was like, oh, I wonder if they picked up an EVP of cursing. And then when I heard that it was just a noise, I went, oh, I know what happened here. (laughs) They heard it, and it made you guys jump and cuss, and you took that out, So you know, because we try to be a G show. But, yeah, very interesting. Now we have some more random noises that you got here in the psych ward. Are you touching my leg? (sighs) 
Now, these random noises, did you guys hear those audibly, too? Yeah. At first, we thought, you know, maybe, cause again, it was, I don't know if it was two years ago. But I wanted, there was only, like, maybe 10 of us for, you know, this entire prison. And I had, again, it was, you know, myself, my wife, um, her brother, and another good friend. You know, we were... You know, in the psych ward upstairs, everybody else was either in the sugar shack or, you know, they were off in another part of the prison. At first, I don't know if that recording actually picked up the first noise, but further on in it, it sounds like, you know, there was a door that was shut or slammed and you kind of hear footsteps. I mean, our first, you know, reaction is, all right, well, you know, another part of the group is coming up or somebody else is coming up. And, you know, we kind of just stood there, you know, waiting, you know, to see a flashlight or, you know, anything. And no one ever showed up. And we kind of asked, you know, like, was that you? And you kind of hear, you know, like more shuffling around and, you know, things being moved. And, you know, it just kind of seemed like uh, the best way I could describe it. It just seems like whatever it was, it was just kind of circling the area, you know, kind of checking us out, trying to figure out what we were, you know, in there doing. Ooh, almost like prey. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> then you have a couple of EVPs that are from the RD wall. What does that stand for? Oh, that was, um, oh, RD wall was the inmate that was uh, killed down uh, in the boiler room. Oh, okay. So you guys are down in the boiler room and you get these EVPs. Here's the first one. All right. What do you think about these magazines? You want them to leave us for what? Let me try that again. Would you like us to leave one of them for you? That one you guys thought says no at the end. And then the second one says, uh, well, let me play it. Do you have an angel looking after you? Do you believe in God? You guys think, especially because you happen to be talking about God, that this is something demonic, possibly, that is saying that that's what it is. So when you're asking about God, it's saying, you know, I'm a demon. Did that give you chills? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, you don't ever really fully expect, I mean, even after doing it for so long, you know, you never really expect to hear anything on, you know, your, your plate. I can, you know, we try to do like really short sessions, you know, two, three minutes, and then, you know, we'll do like a live playback, you know, in hopes of, you know, if there is something captured, number one, hopefully, you know, it is intelligent. Number two, you know, maybe we can get more answers out of them or, you know, communicate more or, you know, or if there's something that, you know, they want to talk about or they want to ask, you know, we always hope that, you know, maybe there's something there, but. I mean, yeah, you know, we're sitting there, you know, the total darkness asking questions and like, all right, well, let's play back. And I mean, it, it took a few times to, you know, kind of wrap our heads around like, all right, well, this is what I think or no, this is what I hear. And, but I mean, it, it was definitely, you know, it was, you know, unsettling. Well, there is a malevolent spirit in the prison. So, I mean, it's very possible that that could be a demonic force and that might have been who you were hearing. Now we have a recording from the Sugar Shack. And this is, uh, I love how they call it the Sugar Shack. That's the B-52s. No. <laughs> yeah, it was not the Love Shack, that's for sure. Oh, okay. This is where a lot of people found shanks in their sides because nobody was supervising. I, You know, you can only imagine you put a bunch of these bad guys in a room together and then you don't watch them. What do you think is going to happen? Like, hey, Sugar, come over here. Yeah. Hence the name. So here's the record. <laughs> Here's the recording from that. Did you just hear the sigh? So did you guys hear the sigh at the very beginning of that? 
That one was very audible. That was very clear. And you guys heard that without the recording. You heard that audibly, correct? Yeah, we were we were just standing there, and we literally just walked in. And that was, I think, again, a couple of years ago. We kind of, we'd walked down in once, and there was a couple bats that were in there flying around. And I was like, you know what? I don't do well with bats because it never fails. Any place we go to, they find me before I find them. So I was like, you know, I'll wait a little bit. And probably like a half hour went by, and I finally, you know, walked down in. It seemed like as soon as I broke, like, that threshold of, you know, like, I go from outside to inside. I mean, it felt like somebody was behind me, and they just, like, sighed really loud and just kind of, you know, looked around like, anybody else hear that? Or Yeah, that just, you know, when you hear something audibly, I can only imagine, because we've never heard anything. We've had a few strange things happen, but... I don't know. That would give me some major chills if I was like, okay, we didn't make that noise and there's something else in here making that noise. And it had enough energy to make it so it wasn't just picked up by the tape on the digital recorder. That was actually out loud. Very creepy. This next set here is some more random noises in the psych ward. Can we see you? And then this last one, this one's interesting because this apparently must be an inmate who was there. You guys are out in the yard and you picked up this EVP. I'll go ahead and play it and let people listen to it and see what they think it says. That one's very hard to make out, but you guys thought that it was saying my name's Corey. Yeah, we had we kind of went back and forth about it. I mean, to me, and you know, just from hearing it in the moment, and then I mean, we really don't use a lot of the newer recorders that have you know the the luxury of the USB or anything. Just for the simple fact that there there is more white noise with a lot of the older ones, and it seems to be you'll pick up a little bit more. I mean, again, it was just one of the ones that, you know, we were just kind of out walking around the yard, and you know, literally, like, I hit record and went back over it and was like, well, you know, this is what I think it says, but, you know, who knows. I thought he was saying, my name is Clark rather than Corey is what I was hearing. So I'd be interested to know, first of all, if any listeners, if you're hearing it, because I know when we played the EVP that we thought we got at the the lighthouse, a lot of people didn't get that one. So if you guys did hear that, what do you think he's saying? What's interesting here is it would be great to know if we had some background. Was there an inmate in the yard who might have been killed named Corey or Clark? Is this somebody who just decided to come back to the jail and didn't die there? It would be interesting to know. Well, those were fascinating, and it was such a treat to have those because you don't get those very often. And a lot of those were very clear, especially the ones that were audible. Those are amazing to have picked that up because a lot of people go into these places, sit there for hours, and get nothing. Anybody who's watched Ghost Hunters, most of the time all you're getting is, did you hear that? <laughs> did you hear that? So I said, it's, just, it's, it's funny because, it's like you said, it's more of like, well, did you hear that? What was that? And just they all kind of look astonished and, and, you know, look around. and And you never hear it. I'm like... If you guys picked it up, because obviously this is post-production, could you turn the sound up on what you thought you heard? Because if you're hearing it, then shouldn't the camera have picked it up too? (laughs) I don't know. It just uh, cracks me up sometimes. Moundsville is not unique when it comes to prisons. 
So many of these older and closed penitentiaries seem to be haunted. Do the lost spirits of inmates still roam these halls? Is the Moundsville State Prison haunted? That is for you to decide. We're so glad that you joined us for this one. Our next episode we're going to bring to you is Grove Park Inn. This is another location in North Carolina, and this was suggested by our listener, Gina Gwynn. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you guys. We really appreciate you suggesting this location. Thank you, Josh, for joining us. We greatly appreciate that. Oh, not a problem. Uh, thank you guys for you know doing the show, me and my wife, and about everybody else on there. We really love it, and I mean, we try to stay up on it and keep up to date, so we don't have to hurry and you know binge listen you know every other week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you guys tuning in, and you've become an active member of the Spectacular Crew, and you've joined us over at the forum, and we're just looking forward to you sharing more of your pictures and investigations and stories with everybody. It's always fun to kind of share that stuff with each other, because it's a lot more believable when it's people that are in your community, rather than if you're like watching it on TV or hearing it from somebody over here. It's a little bit more believable when it's coming from people that you know. Absolutely, and we always appreciate those listeners of ours that are willing to tempt the spirit so we can have the stories for the podcast. Because <laughs> you know Denise would be bawling you guys out about tempting the spirits. Are you here? Shh. Don't, don't tempt them. Alright, well you have a great rest of your Sunday and you take care. Oh, you guys do the same. Thank you again. Oh, thanks. Alright, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. We do have a couple of reviews to share. These are coming to us from Canada. We love our Canadian listeners. Wretched Pain, five stars. This is a ghastly good time. This is a great podcast. I love the history blending with the bumping. I'm actually a scary ghost, and it's good to hear what my ghastly compadres have been up to over the years. P.S. There's no potato salad in the afterlife. So bad news for those of you who like potato salad. Aw, I like potato salad. Thank you, uh, Wretched Pain. We also have Dino Sorority. Five star, love it. Ghost stories and Disney references. I think these ladies are future versions of me. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We also did get a five star review over in the American iTunes. And as we've told you guys, you don't have to actually write a review. You can just give us stars if you want to do that. And that's what this individual did. So we thank you for that. We want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by our executive producers. We want to thank Stephen Pappas for raising his contribution and also welcome new executive producers, Lindsay Smith and Mark Fathers. Thank you. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes... One society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle and Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13. Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.